What's going on, guys? Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today, I have Gabe Peterson on the show. Welcome to the show, Gabe. John, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. I used to, I usually like to start the podcast with a brief bio of what do you do now and how did you get here? And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, for sure. Um, the how you get here, the how I got here is a, you know, it's always a winding story. But what I'm doing right now, um, I own a uh, um, real estate investing firm. We do self-storage facilities, mobile home parks, and then I have a podcast. Um, and that's the life. The real estate investing club is a podcast. So I'm all about real estate and uh, we focus on commercial real estate. Okay. Com- oh, focuses on commercial. That's, that's the interesting part. Yep. That's definitely interesting. So, okay. So why, like, what's your big, why? Like, obviously like you didn't start off by, um, like you didn't wake up when you were six years old and say, I'm going to be a real estate investor and I'm getting into commercial. Like right. what was your path up to this? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I have a ton of people on, on my podcast and I always ask, you know, how'd you get started in real estate? Cause it's, it's always interesting and nobody has a very linear story and mine's not linear at all either. Um, I, I actually, you know, went, you know, going way back when I was in college, I was going to be a lawyer and I got a degree in philosophy, you know, completely useless degree. Um, but once I started following people, you know, I, I had a few friends that were lawyers um, and, you know, their parents were lawyers. So I got to go to their firms and follow what they were doing. And it just didn't, didn't really jive with what I wanted from my life at the time. And so I decided that that wasn't going to be my path. Um, I had already been accepted to law school. I'd done the LSATs, all that stuff. And, but I decided, you know, that's, this, this isn't the path for me. This isn't where I want to go. Um, the unfortunate part was I didn't have a backup plan. So I graduated degree in philosophy, no backup plan. Uh, I knew I wanted to be some, you know, an entrepreneur of some sort. I wanted to start my own business. I couldn't figure out what direction to take. And I'm going to condense this timeline down quite a bit here. But um, essentially, I started looking for different businesses that I could make. I knew I needed to make money. So I got a job as a consultant um, here in Seattle, a management consultant. And while I was working, I just started trying jobs or trying businesses. I did, you know, e-commerce, I did drop shipping, I did uh, digital marketing, all that stuff. Nothing really worked. And it wasn't until I got a, uh, I flipped a house um, with a friend and I made, you know, we made like $80,000 from that flip. And I was like, wow, that's the most money I've ever seen in my life. Um, and at that point I was like, real estate makes a lot of sense. I love that it was physical, but there was something I could touch. And it wasn't some, you know, concept like e-commerce was. And so, um, yeah. And at that point I just, you know, went, went for it. Makes sense. Now, again, you started with management consultant. I'm going to be a little off the beaten path here because this has got my curiosity because you're not the first person who told me the whole, uh, business, uh, management consulting thing mm. now, and maybe I misunderstand what, what they actually do, but I mean, how do you get into management consulting? Like, like, cause I hear people getting out of it through school, but my perception of it is that like, I think of a management consultant, somebody gets into that business consulting is somebody who has extensive amount of experience in business and can help that business get into the next level because they're so experienced, but that's not what I've been seeing. I've been seeing people get out of school. I've never been in a business on a day in their damn life. And then that's what they're doing. And I'm going, how's that work? Yeah. So obviously my perception of what it is and what it actually is are not the same thing. Right. So I'm well, curious to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, there's tons of management, different um, models of management consulting companies out there. Um, like Accenture is the big, you know, big ones. There's the big 
larger companies. And then there's the small ones, which a lot of people think of as a management consultant, which is just one consultant and goes to a small business, medium business and gives them strategy. Um, so the big companies, how they work is, you know, I wasn't a principal. I was an analyst when I, when you start. And so you start at the ground floor, you're doing the grunt work of the management consultant, um, consultancy. And so it's not like they were hiring me a, a 22, 23 year old guy to come in and give them strategy on their marketing that I was, you know, I came in and I was doing, I was doing process improvement, um, business analysis and project management. that was kind of like the focus and I was doing the grunt work. And so you start out at the bottom and then you kind of work your way up from there. Um, but big companies, I mean, it's, it's mo- most of the work is not strategy and that's what most people comes to mind when they think management consultant is strategy, but that's not, that's the majority of the work is not strategy work. Right. Okay. So I, I kind of get it. I mean, again, just the whole title of what it is and what it actually is really doesn't line up, but that makes more sense than what I initially thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a fun uh, fun gig because you get to you know travel around a lot and go to different businesses and see how they operate. But it was still it was in corporate, and I just couldn't I couldn't take it. There were there you still don't have a lot of freedom in terms of the direction that you choose the business to go because you know you're you're a consultant, you don't get to decide any of that. Um, and I just needed that freedom. And so I, it was, it, I knew it wasn't the path for me. Right. Well, what do you define as freedom? Like what's your ideal day look like? Um, <clears throat> what I defined as freedom. Well, first of all, it, when I was working in corporate, most of the time I had a commute that was, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half sometimes, um, each way. And that just, you know, commutes. I, I just can't take them. I don't, I don't know what it is. So the, the beginning, the cornerstone of freedom for me is being able to wake up and, and work from wherever I need to work without having to drive every day an hour. And that's really where, what it started it. Um, I, I wanted to be able to decide my schedule and working in corporate wasn't that just, that's not how it worked. You had to be at your desk nine to five and that, that didn't align with how I wanted to, how I visioned my life. That makes sense. Again, okay, so your real estate started with a flip, but now let me ask you something because kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a bit personal, but I have my curiosity here, which is that you're flipping houses, you're investing in, well, not houses, but you're flipping, yeah, you're flipping houses, you're investing in commercial property. How do you get funding with this if essentially your job is just this? Like, because, you know, let's be honest, uh, banks want proof of income. Yep. And right. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you can always get a hard money loan, but people, I, I hate it when like the gurus out there say, Hey, you can get do money or do uh, real estate with no money, you know, zero money. You don't need any money to do real estate. I hate it when they say that. Cause you do, you need money. Um, real estate is super capital intensive. I mean, obviously I feel like everybody knows this and if they're, if they don't believe it, they're just deluding themselves. So yes, you do need money. Um, the first flip, I, I got money from working my job. I, you know, I, I worked as a management consultant. I made more than I that I needed to live, and so I just saved it until I could buy that flip and and make make you know do it on my own. For um, sure. But after that, I started making. You can make active income wholesaling property. Obviously, um, you can do it on. I've done it on the commercial side and the residential side. Um, and that one, you know, it takes a lot less money. Uh, it's, it still does take money. Anybody who says it doesn't, that is it's just wrong. It, it takes money. You need to market um, marketing. 
I say before you, you're going to spend at least five, you know, $5,000 in marketing costs in order to get your first close. Um, if you're on the commercial side, at least. And, uh, that's just something that is there. Um, and so for the first one, I, I, I used my own money from working on my job. And from there on, I, you know, I started making money wholesaling I, in the flips. I made money. And then, um, eventually I started raising capital from other people in my network to help buy properties. Okay. So you got other people involved as well. So that makes sense. Yep. Okay. I was curious. Cause that's, you know, you hear all these stories, but nobody tells you the, uh, behind the stories of it. Like, it's like, it's like, I just went to the bank and got the money. Yeah. yeah but you know what? I go to the bank. They want to give me 300 and the uh, cost of the home is a million. Right. Um, where'd the other 700 come from? Yep. <laughs> right, <like, laughs> so <laughs> nobody explains the process. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, um, Oh yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Um, so that makes sense. And I, I get that process too. Now, how many, uh, how many, like, do you flip everything or do you do buy and hold? No, I buy and hold is the main strategy. Um, so I've, I've only done a, a couple flips. Um, and you know, people will see, you know, HGTV, Chip and Joanna Gaines doing their awesome flips. And they're like, this looks like so much fun. We should do that. And it is not like that. Unless you're a contractor and you understand, you know, how to do a flip efficiently, um, or you have people in your network who can really guide you. I, it's, I generally do not recommend people doing flips um, because it is a rough business. And, and it's not the most, in my opinion, it's not the best way. It's, the, it's not the best model if you're in investing, um, like the Burr method, I feel like is much more, you get a, a lot more for your money that way. Um, and so flipping, I just, it's just not for me. I, I don't do it. I haven't done a ton of them and I don't do it all that often now. Um, and so my main strategy is just buy and hold and then refinance. That makes total sense. Like I, I agree with you. The whole renovation thing is, uh, but I think the attraction to that, I mean, aside from HGTV, is I find too many people want that instant gratification. They want money and they want it now. They want everything. Like, they just want to wake up, press a few buttons and boom, I made money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just doesn't work that way. But that's, again, through HGTV, that's what they're watching. Yeah. Right. So, and they think it's just like that. But I mean, yeah. HGTV doesn't show how many times those flips lost money. Yeah. And, that and I feel like they're subsidized sometimes because like I, I look at their numbers and I'm like, oh, that just doesn't look right. Like the number, the amount of money that you're saying you're making, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it flips are hard for sure. Yeah. Well, also remember, for example, with the, we'll use your example with Joanna and uh, Chip, right? Like Chip is the contractor. Oh, yeah, exactly. So yep. when you calculate all that, of course, it's going to be inflated there. The contractor, they're giving you the numbers without his profit. They're including, yep. like when you pay a contractor and if just say you're paying a contractor 300,000, his profits in that 300,000. Yep. Well, if yep. they're on the show, that's really, that, 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 that cost is going to be like 250 and that 50K that the contract would have made is now part of their profit. Yep, yep, right? exactly. Which, but, you know, when you're doing a flip, you don't include the profit from that as your flip. The contracting money is separate from that, just like the real estate fees are separate. Yep. <laughs> exactly. But hey, you know what it is? TV is TV. And TV people is really, TV. You can't they do really look make, nice. They do a damn good do. job on those flips. They look really nice. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. There is opportunity to make money in flips. But mm -hmm. just as there's opportunity to make money, there's many opportunities to lose money too. Because if you yeah. buy in the wrong spot or 
you do an initial inspection and you don't find anything wrong or major, you do a calculation and you think it's great, then when you go to tear it up and you find out major structural issues, there goes any form of profit you have any hope of making. Yeah. Got to watch out for the walls. There's always stuff in the walls. Yeah. And it's not like you can go uh, into a house and say, I'll, I'll buy your house if there's nothing behind the wrong behind the wall. So let me tear it apart. And if I find something, I'm walking away. That doesn't work. <laughs> so yeah, I get that totally. Now, let me ask you why commercial? Commercial is, I, I wish someone had guided me to start in commercial because I feel like um, it's just it fits me a lot better. Um, commercials, you're working with businesses or it is a business like a self-storage facility. And so it's a lot more, um, it just works better with my paradigm. Um, when I'm, you know, when I'm, when you're doing residential, especially if I'm renting out a single family house, um, if somebody stops paying, then it's difficult because you do have to evict them. Um, but with self-storage, if somebody stops paying, it's just, you know, it's their, it's their stuff. And if you stop paying, that means you don't want to maintain the stuff anymore. So, um, it's easy. I like it just on that aspect. And then it's also much easier to, to manage and it's much, much easier to scale. Um, commercial real commercial on the commercial side, doesn't matter if you're doing self-storage, mobile, mobile home parks, multifamily, um, they're just bigger deals. And so it, you know, it takes essentially not, not the same, it, it will take more, but it'll take essentially the same amount of effort to close, one or two single family houses than it does a, a single, you know, 500 unit self-storage facility. And you're putting in the same amount of effort, but you're on this side, you're buying 500 units. And so you get much more return for your effort. Um, and I mean, I always say more important than the money that you're making is the, the amount of headache that you're buying. And so if you buy a bunch of headache with a whole bunch of single family houses, that, in my opinion, is less valuable than um, than something on the commercial side, where there is already, you know, a lot of professional management out there. The structure is out there, the infrastructure, and the professional man- managing companies are out there, ready to manage your com- uh, your your property, um, you know, from the get go. Right, I get that. Now, again, like like you said, there's multifamily versus, uh, and you you chose self storage. Now, why did you avoid the multifamily versus self-storage? I can understand the whole single-family home, because like you said, most you're going to have upstairs and downstairs. Two rents is the most you can possibly have. We're multifamily, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, units, you can have like 50 units, 100 units, 300 units. Mm. Why why dodge that one and go for self-storage? No, multifamily is great. The, uh, multifamily is a, is a great asset class. Um, I just chose not to go that direction. I would have. It's and I still probably will in the future. Um, I've had you know small. It isn't even multifamily because it's under four units. So I've had like triplexes and stuff. But um, multifamily is great. Nothing, nothing against it. I just decided to go with uh, mobile home parks and self storage facilities. Okay, so it was just a uh, personal choice. There's no other particular reason. Uh, yeah, essentially. That makes sense. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I mean, I'm a realtor and uh, I hate commercial as a realtor. (laughs) And only reason is I don't understand it. Uh, It doesn't make any logical sense to me because, (laughs) and that's only because I got used to valuations of residential homes. Mm, So when you cross and it's a different formula, I'm sitting like, that that is why commercial is so awesome because it is all it all surrounds your NOI. That's the number that matters. Your net operating income. That's yeah. the only thing you really have to you really have to consider. I mean, that's the thing that you need to that is going to determine the value of your property is your net operating income. 
So you don't have to think about on the residential side, there's so much values can be just here and there, just completely random, in my opinion. You know, when you're doing comps with with residentials yeah. and you're trying to find comparable sales and you're just like, how is this actually valued? Um, it's difficult. But with commercial, it is numbers. There is your net operating income will define your cap rate, and your cap rate is how you're going to be selling your property. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, because it's like you said, right? Like it's cap rates and NOI. Like the thing is that I can relate to the residential side and I understand it. Now, and I'm making it sound like commercial, so whatever, right? But the reality is the commercial is one, in a logic level, commercial is more logical because mm-hmm. let's be honest, I, can, I, I think residential real estate is comparable to the stock market. It, it, like, and then what I mean by that is, yes, there's a business in the stock market, but the business isn't evaluated on its profits. It's evaluated on speculation. Yep, and so exactly. is residential real estate. It's because what, what did the last one sell for? What do you think the next guy will pay for it? And then if you get into a bidding war like things are right now, because there's just a shortage of available homes for the demand, then people start fighting over it, which bringing up the value. And that's like an artificial increase, which yep. is what is the stock market? Hype brings an artificial increase. Yep. So logically speaking, commercial is more logical. I just don't understand it because... I grew up with the residential side. I've always understood the residential. Then somebody turns around and says, oh, well, that, that building sold for a million. So it should be like, a, you know, 20% increase, 1.2. And you're saying, I go, no, that's worth 4 million. You go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. it's just weird to me, right? Like, and it's like, it's like I said, I'll take a Starbucks. You, you, you take a, a building that has the Starbucks in there. And it's worth just say seven million bucks. I'm getting random bullcrap number, obviously. But you take the Starbucks out, put in a few bedrooms, and all of a sudden you're only getting a million. It's the same damn building. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't get it. Right. Yep. Again, one has to do with operating expenses, cap rates. Logically on paper, you can justify the numbers. Where yep. residential is speculation. How do you really justify yep. it? But it's like I said, I understand it more. Now, contrary to what I just said, if you show me your storage unit and said, guess how much it's worth? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But if you saw the PL of the storage unit, you could you could def- figure I out what understand it's worth it. immediately. Yep. Yeah, you know, you know storage what, units are yeah. trading at six and seven caps. You see the NOI right there. You can calculate it right on the bat. Well, that's the thing, right? I, I, we have to pa- have relative knowledge to get our license. We can't just say we're just residential. And get mm-hmm. our license, or at least yep. in Ontario. In Ontario, you have to have a certain standard, even in commercial, to be able to get your license. Right. So I have the basics on there. I don't. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't sound logical mm-hmm. because of the way I'm understanding it. But I have the basics. So, like you said, you show me the sheets. I make. I can make sense of it. I can yep. understand what it is. Now, where I'm going to contradict myself is you put me in a multi-residential, like you put me in the 320 units. And I can combine my knowledge and get it. Yep. Change that multi-residential and tell me a storage. And I'm going, huh? <laughs> I, I, I like put us again, show me what a Starbucks is worth. Huh? <laughs> right. But, for, but I guess because it's just a multi-residential is just a uh, bigger version of a house. That's the way I look at it. So I guess that's why I can make logic to it. Yep. yep, but yep. That's just me. Again, everyone's different. Right. But then we all have niche you know, niche um, markets and uh, experiences and we best focus on what we're good at. Yep. We all have specialties. 
Yeah. So, and the ones that try to be everything for everybody end up being nothing for nobody. Yep. So, yeah. So that was just one perception that I came out of and I found it interesting. I, um, I expected, like, I knew you did the real estate investing. I just didn't expect you to say commercial today. So that kind of like, whoa, <laughs> but it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Like it's, I, I get fascinated again, because I said, I don't understand it. Yeah. So that's great. So now let me ask you something. What is your future looking like? Like, what is your objective? Like, where is your goals? Um. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm dealing with my mic here. It keeps getting in my way. <laughs> um, so uh <laughs> Um, yeah, so last year we bought four, uh, self-storage and this year I want to either, uh, I want to meet and exceed that. So for, I guess it doesn't really matter the number of facilities, but I want to buy at least, um, the goal was a hundred thousand square feet, uh, of net rentable space. And that's where we'll be. Awesome. Now, are you going to, obviously you're not going to do this on your own. How many investors do you have with you? Um, yeah. So I have a number, you know, I run that podcast and I just have a number of people that have reached out. It really depends on the deal in terms of what we'll be needing to raise. Um, I have three deals that I'm working on right now uh, that are in the two to two to three ish, a little bit over $3 million range. Um, and so we'll, we'll see where, where it goes. That makes sense. Now, have you ever had a bad deal? Like you bought a deal and you bought something and you thought not what I was expecting. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what was that like? It, so again, you always have to buy right. Um, but with that said, you know things come out of the woodwork, and if you don't do all of your due diligence perfectly, then things will pop up, and you'll be like, "Shit, didn't realize that." But I bought a self storage out in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, it is a, uh, it's a kind of a vacation area, um, and it was a hundred percent not rented because the the previous owner. He ran a um, moving company and he didn't want to run the facility. So he, he, there was this big ass warehouse on the property and he was using that for his uh, um, for his moving company. And then there was an additional self-storage facility on the property that he just wasn't using. He was just storing stuff in it. And so zero occupancy. Um, I ran the numbers, figured it was a, you know, a good price for him, um, offered it. And I the when you do... When you're deciding how to buy, whether you want to buy a property or not, um, the metro comes into play a lot. And so I ran, you know, I ran my analysis on the metro. It was a it had a net positive migration, so I figured, you know, this is good. Um, I looked at a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, figures to figure out if I wanted to buy in this area. It seemed great. Um, numbers, you know, his offer looked great, and there was a lot of upside because it was completely empty. And so all I had to do was put it on, you know, Google, put it on, start marketing it, and and fill it up. So I bought it, um, but a couple weeks after I bought it, it was broken into, um, and I was like, "Shit, that sucks." But you know, I'll deal with it and keep moving on. I fixed that, you know, I fixed the break in, and then a couple weeks after that, it was broken into again, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" And so I uh, started asking around, and I should have done this before. Um, you always, I should have asked the property managers in the just the very niche area that I'm in um, what they thought of that specific corner that I was buying in, and because it's located near a strip club that I didn't realize was there and a couple mobile home parks. Um, I guess that specific block is known for property, property damage, um, just, you know, property crime in general. And that's something I didn't know. And so had I known that before, um, 
I probably still would have bought it, but I would have been, I would have gone into it with a little bit, you know, eyes more wide open. Um, I I'm planning on fixing it, uh, installing a fence. I got security cameras up, all that kind of stuff, but still it's a headache. And I, uh, it's something that I didn't realize going into it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, again, that, that br- brings up the uh, importance of knowing the area you're buying in and everything about it before you offer. Yep. Absolutely. Which can also bring up another point in terms of realtors. You don't deal with one that lives in one area and says, I'm willing to drive the area because chances are just like you didn't know that person wouldn't know. You always deal with local people because the local people, if they're professional, should know what's going on. Yep. 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 Boots on the ground is the most important thing, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, to, to managing a property. Um, even if you have a really good property management company that can manage, you know, overall um, your your portfolio, you still having somebody boots on the ground is, is super important. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, let me ask you something else about this. Now, how do you choose your areas? Uh, so the number one factor is net positive migration. Um, so if, if it has a net positive migration, I will look into it. If it doesn't, I will not even consider it. Um, and so that's number one. Number two, I like it to be at least, I, at least a hundred thousand. Um, I've been going down to around 50,000 if there's a bigger Metro in the area, but no total population, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand plus. Um, and then I like to use the Walmart method. And so if there's a Walmart within 10, 10, you know, 10 miles of the, of the facility or of whatever you're buying, um, it is, you know, you should, you should let out a sigh of relief a little bit because Walmart does a ton of research to figure out where to put their, uh, you know, their stores. And, um, that, that is a good indicator, but outside of that, you know, I look through all the metrics, um, uh, neighborhood scout has a really good one for, uh, crime rates. Um, you call the the um, Economic Development Council for the city, um, call the police station, ask about property crime, call property managers in the area to figure out um, you know, what they think of the area and all that stuff kind of taken as a whole um, can define what whether it's a good area or not. But the number one metric is just net positive migration and population. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So there's no real, you don't really have a border restriction like Everyone's different. That's why I was curious. Cause like for myself, I live in the greater Toronto area. I mm. probably would not buy a home that's in Vancouver as an example. Oh um, yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like, it's just like way too far for me to get there and I'm relying on other people. Yeah. And no, I I'll buy it. I don't, I don't give a shit. If it's in the U S I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's in the U S that makes sense. Actually, so, no, but- I won't buy in New York or California. Um, and that's just because like property taxes and, and man, and they just have horrible laws for, for landlords. Um, so if the laws are not in favor of at least, you know, maybe not in favor, but if the laws aren't really equitable between landlord and tenant, then it's not, it's not really area I want to be in. Yeah, I get that. Now that's, that's the benefit of Toronto. And what I mean by that as in oh, for commercial, mm. our, uh, our laws suck. For residential, oh, yeah. absolutely stink. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's—I don't want to say this because it sounds bad, but it's almost like we have a population of entitlement. Oh yeah, and both sides think they're entitled and owed, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether you're landlord or the tenant, and there's no coming in between. Yeah, and the laws tend to be mostly one-sided, mm-hmm. and not for the landlord, right? So. But when you get into commercial spaces, that changes everything. 
right? Like all of a sudden it's not as uh, regulated as uh, residential. Mm. Yep. That makes sense. So yeah, for commercial, it's an awesome opportunity. Um, somebody doesn't pay you, you give them notice 15 days, <laughs> lock the doors, sayonara. There you go. Oh. 15 days. Wow. That's well, crazy. After the notice, I think you gotta give 30 day notice. Right. But okay. Right. Then, but anyways, I mean, like it, uh, my point is not like residential residential. You got to give them notice. Then after that, you have to give them a, like, you have to give them notice at the right day. Cause if it's on the wrong day, it doesn't count. And um, yeah. then you can't just lock them out. You have to go to the landlord and tenant board, which could take up to six months. Oh, geez. And yeah, then uh, if they have to lose there, then once they lose there, they get notice from the landlord and tenant board. And then, uh, then the sheriff comes to lock them out if they haven't left by then. So it's just such a pain. Like it's like, yeah. again, so now, at that point, I'd be like, yeah. I'm done with this property. <laughs> it's terrible. Right. But now there's benefits. Like there's one thing we like, if you have a condo building that was built after, I think it was after 2017 or 18, can't remember which one. If you have that and you have a rental there, those residential rules do not apply. The rules mm-hmm. that are applicable are the ones of the condo declaration. And that's about it. You want to raise rent, go raise rent. You want to kick them out, kick them out. Hmm. It's really that simple. So that's the attraction to newer condo buildings. Huh. Um, and it's not that you, you want to rent it out for the intent of kicking people out. That's right. Like right, you, right. You, want to keep people, like, you just don't want to be taken advantage of. And it sounds yeah. like that's uh, right. Like my dad was a landlord. He had the same tenant for 30 years. That's ideal. Yep. No, yeah, and, for sure. Those are the ones you want. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. But at the same time, when you're getting kicked in the teeth because they decided that they don't need to pay you because the uh, the provincial uh, premier says you can't pay your rent, don't pay it. It's COVID. And then they decide <laughs> they're not paying it. You know, like now you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm paying a mortgage with no rent. Yep. <laughs> you don't want that. You know what I mean? Like, totally lose money. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want the ability, you know, like, and, and, and that's where the benefit of new construction you know, rentals are more attractive versus the older stuff. Hmm. But that's again, that's if I you're know that. going to residential. Um, but again, if you want safety of not being, you know, choked, commercial is the way to go. There you go. So that makes sense too. Again, it goes to knowing your areas, knowing the laws, knowing what you can and can't do and investing where it makes sense. Yep, Absolutely. So, and that's why uh, if I were to invest out of my city, I'd rather do it in the States somewhere just for the reasons I just said, it's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know too much about um, investing in Canada, but I mean, you guys have good markets up there too. So actually, again, there's good and bad, but it's really important in knowing which is what and where and, and like what you, it's not like, I normally tell somebody when you want to buy real estate, doesn't matter what you buy or how you buy it, just get in the market. Yep. My, my pitch on that is assumption that you're moving in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. when you're doing a rental, it does matter what you buy and where you buy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So different advice for different uh, outlook. Absolutely. So again, huge money to be made in Toronto. Huge. I mean, oh, like yeah. my own home, the one I'm living in. It's, I'm, I'm saying I'm about 15% away from doubling from what I bought it for. Wow. That's crazy. You know what I mean? And, that, and I only bought this three years ago. Jeez. That's crazy. Right. Man. Yeah. Prices. Average, yeah. Average real estate doubles every 10 years. Well, and, right? and in this market, I feel like it's less than that. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. The average just changed to seven years with this market. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. So, and I've been here for three. So <laughs> you're almost there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's crazy, right? Like, again, that's what it is. Now, my house I live in is not an investment because right. if I sell it, where my, you know, sure, it's an investment. I'm going to sell it. I've doubled my money. Then I'm going to sleep in the ditch. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> or you, you just move uh, move to a cheap city. <laughs> yeah, but which doesn't exist here. Yeah. Trust me, if I'm leaving, if I'm leaving here to cash out, I'm coming to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, opportunities everywhere if you want to look for it. So it's a matter of what works for you. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I was just curious to see how you chose, which makes total sense. Yep. So, what would you say to someone who? Uh, Let's be honest. Everybody wants to invest in real estate, but most people are either, you know, paralysis by analysis Mm. or genuinely don't know how or what to do, where to start. Yep. What would you suggest to somebody who doesn't really know where to start or how to start? They're looking at their bank account and saying, I've got 10K in there. I don't know if that's enough. I don't know what I need or where to start. What would you say? Um, I mean, the first step is education. Um, and there's, you know, I'm the first step that I took way back when, you know, when I was working at that, uh, consulting firm, I I bought a course, um, it was like 5,000 bucks, but it, it worked and it got me, you know, moving. Um, but nowadays, I mean, courses work really good. Uh, you can get like a coach mentorship. Um, and also there's tons of free content out there. I'm sure you could put together your own course just by watching Google, Google videos, um, so the first step is just get educated. Uh, and then I would, well, before that, I would decide if you want to do commercial residential, you know, what you're actually going for, um, and just start getting educated after that, you know, $10,000 is not enough. I'll tell you that much right now. So, uh, I would start looking for, um, I mean, with, if you, if you had 10,000 bucks, I, I would probably start marketing for properties and do some wholesales um, to, you know, make that a little bit, a little bit bigger, bigger amount. Uh, and then once you have enough, I would, I would buy, you know, buy your first property. Um, if it's great thing about self-storage is you can get an SBA loan, which may uh, only, you know, you can, that can go down to like 10% down payment versus the 20, 25% that you usually have to do for uh, commercial properties. Um, so yeah, I would just start with education and then if you only have 10,000, I would, you know, use the rest to market for wholesale properties, use that money to buy your property. Well, what do you think of uh, joint ventures? Yeah, they're great as well. And that's another thing you could do is, uh, so you could get your education and then start marketing. Um, and then if you found a great deal, you could raise the capital um, and you could be the boots on the ground and whoever, and then you could partner with somebody, maybe you could partner with somebody who has a lot of experience, give them equity for their experience. And then you could take the equity for being boots on the ground and for having found the deal. Um, and then finds another third partner to raise the capital to, to take it down. And so there's tons of ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And yeah, so I have a similar uh, advice. My only thing is I will say, get your first property under your own mm, yep. and then get into the joint venture. Cause you always want to have a, a foundation and really that one property you have for yourself is the way I look at it as your foundation to start. But yeah. then again, there's many ways to, to skin a cat, as they say. So it's like, yeah, it's what, what are you comfortable with? Yep. Yeah, whatever works for you, for sure. So now you mentioned the Burr strategy. I know what that is. And I'll, believe it or not, until last year, I did not know what a Burr strategy is. I've heard it so many yeah. times. 
And yeah. then anytime somebody <laughs> says burr, I think like a, a cold cackle and burr, burr, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't I, but I know that I never knew what it was. So for anybody watching this and is curious to what a burr strategy is, can you explain it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, BRRRR just stands for buy, rehab, refinance. And um, I always forget there's so many different variations. Uh-huh. Buy, rehab, uh, rent out, I think is the original one. And then refinance. Yes. Um, and essentially what all it means is just you buy a property, you fix it up, you rent it out, get it to market value, and then you refinance it with a bank. And, and an example I could use, um, like a mobile home park we bought uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, we bought it for 400, I think we bought it for 400, 450,000. Um, we filled it up, we got it up to market rents and now we're refinancing it for uh, 1.5 million. And so we can take 70% of that 1.5 and um, take that out as equity. You know, that's money that you don't, you don't pay taxes on a refinance. When you refinance a property, you don't take taxes on that. So that's just equity that you can take out and use to buy additional properties. Um, so it's a really good way to, you know, if you're doing it right and you're doing it smart, it's a really good way to uh, advance your investing career uh, and your investing portfolio by, you know, refinancing properties. Right. Now, and in that way, you don't lose the property. So you're still benefiting from cash flow. Yes, of course. Now, here's the other thing, though. I'm most people, and I'm sure your parents were in the same generation as my parents and all that where they grew up in the generation where they say, you got to pay off the mortgage. Like they want to be mortgage free. And yeah. obviously with that strategy, that's saying the opposite. Right. Well, so, it's just, it's all just math. Um, so if you have a mortgage that's at 2% interest or not 2%, the, the, I said that because the, we got a seller finance loan for that property and it's at 2.6%, which is the lowest I've ever seen. I don't know why he, he suggested we do uh, go that direction, but um but that's the interest rate he wanted to use. And so we grad it into great interest rate, uh, but it's all just about math. And so if you have a, a, a mortgage and the interest rate is X amount, let's just say 4%, um, and then you can get 8% by, you know, in placing that money in other directions, in other areas, then it's just, you get a 4% gain there. You might as well, you know, it doesn't make sense to pay that mortgage down when you can get more money by using it in other investments. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it basically comes down to, you can borrow the money for, like you said, 4%. I mean, here it's the borrowing money is even cheaper, although they did raise the interest rate today, um, but it raised it a small smidget, like a quarter percent or something stupid like that. Mm. So it's still cheap. You can still get, you know, mortgages here under 3%. Um, and with that being said, under 3%, that's so under crazy. Three, it won't that's last. So they, they said they're going to raise it at least four times this year. Yeah, that's so, free money. I mean, you could take that and put it in the stock market and make more. <laughs> I, this is where I was getting at. So the one, one of the opportunities here is to borrow them, you know, take out the capital, like you said, and take it out at the at that, we'll say 2.8%. Mm-hmm. And then you can reinvest it and earn 10%. Yeah. Yep. You can put it in another property and make more money. You can, I mean, literally you can put it in the stock market and and make more money than, you know, 2.6%. So um, no mortgages are great. Uh, they're, they're a great tool for debt is not bad if it's done wisely. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's, um, but again, it's contrary to the advice we were getting when we grew up. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So that, that's the part that I found intriguing with it. Cause I grew up with the same thing. You got to pay that mortgage off. You can't have a mortgage. Oh my God. Uh, debt is bad. Got to get rid of it. 
right? Yeah. But it's like, and then I realized you can't really expand or scale to mass markets without being willing to borrow. Yep. So yeah, being able to borrow is it's great, um, and that's and that you can take that as in different directions. You can borrow money from a bank. Um, you can give away equity, but being able to leverage your you know, leverage your portfolio is really, in my opinion, it's better than just being super, super conservative and and not, not wanting to take on debt, not wanting to take on partners or anything like that. Makes total sense. Now, let me ask you something here. Like, and I'm not sure if it's the same for you guys as it is over here in terms of, um, oh, what was I going to say? Yeah. In terms of borrowing money, I right? guess a lot of times people say, how do you get financing that look big for big, but in terms of borrowing, when you buy a single family home, the credentials to get credit on a single family home is not the same credentials to get it on an investment pro on a multifamily or commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, your down payment is a lot higher, but but they're not basing it off your general credit. They're basing it off the revenue from commercial, like from yep. the uh, building yep. versus residential. They're basing it off of your income. Yep. I mean, I'm not sure if is, is that the same for you guys as it is for us? Yeah, no. And that's another reason why I love commercial is um, you can get a loan based on the property, the property's performance and not. So if you're buying a house and you, you're trying to buy it as an investment, um, usually it's based off your W-2 income. And, but if you buy, you know, a multifamily, mobile home park, self-storage facility, commercial re- uh, strip retail, whatever you want, it's usually you can do that based on you, the property's uh, NOI. And so um you know, it's a, you're not, you're not restricted by the amount of income that you made. Exactly. Now to be clear for everyone listening or watching, that doesn't mean because it's based on the property, you can have bad credit and they're still going to give you the money. (laughs) They're going to check you out first, because if you're not trustable and they're considering you trustable based on that credit rating, they're not going to give you the money regardless of what the property makes. And that's why I say um, I have a few friends who have kind of watched what I've done and, they, and they're thinking about getting into commercial um, and they're just so hesitant to pull the trigger on a property. And I, I tell them like, man, you just got to get that first one done. Um, so long as it's, you know, it's going to make you money. Don't look for a slam, you know, grand slam deal. Just get it done because then you're going to have you're going to have a history of performance. And that's what a lot of banks want. Um, that's what capital partners want. So long as you can show them, hey, I've done this. Like I, I have this property. I'm managing it. It's it's performing well. Um, then the people you go to in the future, uh, when you want to buy additional properties, they're going to see that and they're going to be like, okay, this guy's trustworthy. He can do it. Um, we'll lend to him. We'll we'll give him money for for buying properties, whatever. Yeah, and that might be the other reason why you want to partner up with somebody because if you're starting out by yourself, the odds of you getting massive credit is very slim. But if you're partnering up with somebody who's been through this before, they have their own portfolio as a, as, as a credential and, Mm -hmm. and they're probably known with lenders and they're probably going to be favored with lenders. So being in a venture with someone like that will get you a higher number and a bigger possibility. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, and in terms of, um, Okay, so joint ventures, we talked about that. Uh, Sorry, I was going to get into something that I sidetracked. In terms of um, what would you suggest? Like, not all deals are good. 
and not all deals are bad. How can someone differentiate between a good opportunity and a bad opportunity? Um, well, first of all, watch out for what brokers, if you're looking on like LoopNet or something, watch out for what brokers put, because those are never right. And brokers out there listening, why do you guys put numbers up like that? Um, but do your own due diligence, do your own underwriting. Uh, underwriting, honestly, it can be like a, a science like or like an art almost, because it can... There's a lot that can go into it. Um, but if you just want like a, a rule of thumb, cap rate is always, you know, it's a good indicator. It's not end all be all. Um, but if you can look at their PL and you can calculate a decent cap rate on their current PL, then that's a good sign. Um, but you, you got to make sure that their PL shows what it should show. Like, uh, most, uh, most PLs that I see these days uh, that brokers put up, they don't show a management fee because I, I don't know what the, they think that people are going to be running these facilities themselves. Um, and so you got to make sure that those kind of things are in there, like management fee, uh, make sure that utilities look right, make sure that, you know, property taxes are in there, all that kind of stuff. Um, but rule of thumb cap rate on, on NOI is, uh, is usually pretty good. Makes total sense. Now, is there, um, anything that you wish you learned before you got into the business or do you wish you learned it sooner? Like what would, if you can go back knowing what you know, what would you have changed? Um, I mean, <laughs> I learned what I needed to learn in the steps that I took, I guess, uh, going back, obviously, you know, um, I mean, I wish I could have predicted the market. And so like in Seattle, if, if I had, you know, I, I got out of college in 2009, 2010, I wish I would have just bought anything like, <laughs> like any, any property, a piece of dirt. Uh, I don't care. Cause just cause the market market's been hockey sticking. So, um, to understanding the market, but like general sense, it just, uh, um, Hmm. How about VAs get it, get use VAs sooner because, uh, that helps you scale, scale your business pretty quickly. Right. That's awesome. Okay. Um, I don't want to take too much more of your time. So I'm going to get into a little bit of a lightning run, uh, round, not run, round. <laughs> um, you know, I have just a little fun. All right. So what would be your uh, favorite uh, vacation spot? Oh, man. Uh, so me and my girlfriend have really been liking Charleston, South Carolina. I absolutely love that city. They have great food. Um, it's, it's not tropical, but it's warmer than here in Seattle. Um, and it, there's so much historic, historic buildings down there. So many historic buildings, gorgeous area. I love, love Charleston. Awesome. That, that's interesting. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. It sounds very interesting like that. And you mentioned food. So I'm going to get on to the next one, which is what is your favorite food? Oof, man. Um, oof, that's tough. I really like lobster. Lobster is fucking delicious, but, um, I'm just going to say lobster. Lobster is great. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Lobster is yeah. good. <laughs> um, do you cook? I, yeah, I'm not a great cook, but I, I do cook. Yeah. What do you have uh, the most fun making? Um, man, that's, I, I usually, my, my, what I cook is usually pretty boring. Like I'll do, uh, you know, grilled veggies with meat um, and potatoes. So I just, you know, standard fare. Um, I'm a, a meat and veggies kind of guy. 
Makes sense. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big barbecuer. Oh like, yeah, I love the grill. Um, yep. There's other stuff I make too that I'm good at, but I love the barbecue. Yeah, it's just it's just something about standing over a fire, cooking some meat, putting some veggies in there. Oof, love it. Exactly. Oh yeah, especially you know I got the pan. You have the pan on top of the flame, and you have the all your uh, your onions, and you know it's like mm-hmm. oh, so oh, good. Preach it. Love <laughs> it. What um, what's your favorite podcast? Um, man, I actually, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts these days. Um, but when I got started, I really, I listened to, um, shit, what was it called? Uh, entrepreneur on fire you, on, with John Lee Dumas. I listened to his podcast a ton back in the day. Um, and then, um, for real estate, I did, uh, I think it was called Epic real estate with, uh, uh Matt Tyrell. Matt Tyrell, He's the guy who I first, uh, you know, got the course from, um, learned a ton from him. You know, he kind of opened my eyes. So that was a really good podcast. Um, that, that, I think that's it. I, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts these days. I should, but I don't. That's funny, but you have your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. My podcast is, uh, that is my podcast is I get to talk to talk to other investors and that's my education. Which is awesome. Now, do you read books? Yep. Yep. I like books. Um, they usually don't, I don't read a bunch of like real estate stuff. Um, it's mostly, uh, you know, I, I studied philosophy back in college and I like that, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, books with a, with a deeper meaning. Uh, <laughs> so I, I've actually been re- uh, reading, um, shoot, what was, now I forget the title. Um, damn it. I forgot the title. So obviously it wasn't that, that much of an impact on me because that's fine. I don't remember the title, <laughs> but yeah. Awesome. Now. Oh man. Okay. Books. We went in the books. What do you have any for shows? Like what shows do you watch or do you watch TV at all? What's your take on that? Oh yeah. Um, man. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely watch shows. Uh, Shit's Creek. I fucking love that show. I've already watched it, but it was, it was great. Um, and then right now we're, we were watching Ozark, but we're, it, you know, waiting for that next season. Cause oof, that is, that's a good one. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. Oh yeah. It's good. I'm into the whole doctor show kind of thing, right? I like the good doctor and uh, mm-hmm. transplant. Yeah. Yep. Gray's anatomy, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So lastly, or second, lastly would be what would you have? Like, what would you say to anybody listening in who wants to get into entrepreneurship is interested in venturing on their own or just into some sort of self-discovery? Um, yeah. I mean, like I said before, get educated first, um, get some education in you and then just take action. You're never going to feel like you're ready. Um, you're never going to feel like the time is right. So just take that first step. And then once you take that step, the next step is going to appear. Um, and you just keep going that way until you're, you reach your destination. And the last question of the day, is where can everyone find you? Ah, perfect. Uh, it's really easy. Just go to the podcast website. It's the real estate investing club.com. That's investing with an ING. So the real estate investing club.com. Um, I'm over there. That is amazing. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it's been a total delight and absolutely love it. I hope everybody watching or listening, you know, found some value in it and, uh, anybody who wants to uh, hear more, podcast, subscribe down below. Perfect, John. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.